Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. Oh, I'm going to a city. It lies four square. The gates are made of jasper and I'll see Jesus there. I'm Hello, everybody. God bless you today. This is Susan Puzio, and I want to welcome you to the Prophetic News Radio Broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. I hope you all are doing well. I guess we're probably, all of us are probably kind of sick of coronavirus already, but I don't see it ever going away. That's my opinion. I, I I see that the flu never goes away, and this is ten times worse or even much worse than the flu, so it's I think it's always going to be out there and uh I personally do not believe that it is a hoax. I know people say that, but I don't believe for one minute it's a hoax. I believe it's real. I don't know who did it i I have my questions about that, but our everyday lives are never going to be the same. That's the way I see it anyway. It's even going out to the store or going wherever we're going, we always have it in the back of our head about this thing. So, of course, we know that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but we need to be diligent and uh, careful really careful in the days because we're we're here right now and these kind of things are going on and according to the book of revelation we know that in the end times there'll be so many things that we wish we didn't have to go through because who who would have thought we would ever have to go through anything like this but we're going through it as believers and of course, we put our, our faith and trust in God, and we ask for, for God's divine protection over our lives. And we just have to be prepared for whatever comes our way. So it's, it's a strange time we're living in, that's for sure. But everybody's got their different opinion of you know what's going on, but... I I I trust God's word, and uh, when God says something's going to happen and be guaranteed that we're that's a guarantee anyway that it's going to happen, and so we just have to be ready. I think we just have to be ready for whatever comes our way, and I think it's so important for the church to be ready and not to be distracted. And there's so many distractions with the church. So we we know the church is not a building. It's, it's not a building. It's nice to go to a building. It's nice to have fellowship at the building and to praise the Lord at the building and to uh, 
hear the word preached at the building, but as we could see from what's going on now, (laughs) there might not be any buildings to go to if uh, there's another pandemic in the future, which the Bible predicts there will be pandemics in the future, pestilence and wars and things that we can we can't even imagine who would ever imagine this thing never we would never imagine this we would never be ima- imagine in our wildest dreams we we're, we're just going along with our lives and enjoying our lives and enjoying going to the mall and and uh going to sports events and whatever and then all of a sudden boom you know just kind of hit you like a ton of bricks really but uh, so, and let God be true and every man a liar. That's what I say. But uh, you see these, uh, and, and I believe in First Amendment rights. Yes, I think we, the First Amendment gives us the right to assemble. And, and uh, so, if people want to stand up for their First Amendment right and and they feel like their church building should be open, which I can understand their logic in some areas because it's like they said, well, Walmart didn't close down, which it didn't. Uh, Home Depot didn't close down during the pandemic. Lowe's didn't close down. The supermarkets didn't close down. No. And they, anyway, in my state, which is Florida, they weren't um, telling people how many people could go into the store at one time. So those kind of things were going on anyway in the beginning and and people weren't really wearing any kind of face covering, which most people do now when they go out. But so I could understand their logic and uh, that they want their building to be open. They have bills to pay and, and, uh, this is a job for so many people that work in these churches, including the pastors. So I can understand their reasoning for wanting their buildings to be open. So you go at your own risk. It's like uh, Rodney Howard Brown. Remember, he got arrested a few months ago because he kept his building open, even after the governor in the state of Florida said that the, the, the buildings had to be closed. You couldn't have more than 10 people in a church service at one time or whatever. But anyway, he had, I don't know, hundreds of people in his building one Sunday. And then a few days later, he got arrested, which now all the charges have been dropped against him. But he still hasn't really opened his building for church services. And uh, according to him and his testimony on YouTube, he's been having these services. And he, he claims that... It, you know, coronavirus is no big deal, and he's not saying it doesn't exist, but it's not really a big deal. And uh, I'll talk to some people that have had it, or some of their relatives that have died from it. I think you'll you'll get a different perspective. But anyway, so he but he didn't go out of his house for two months. Well, I find that odd. That if you don't think it's such a big deal, then why were you holed up in your house for two months? To me, that's strange. <laughs> to me, that's a strange occurrence. 
And uh, so, anyway, he's going to have a big service on Sunday. It, and But the service is going to be outdoors. It's not going to be inside the church building. Now, it's hot here in Florida. Now, Sunday, it's probably going to be 90, maybe even hotter than that. And so what what does he do? He, he, he paved... He bought AstroTurf, and he has 85 acres there in Tampa. It's a big spread he's got. And he's he's put AstroTurf in the back parking lot, and he's going to have speakers and uh, large screen televisions, and he's telling people to bring their lawn chairs and sit on the hot AstroTurf, which a friend of mine told me that AstroTurf gets very hot in the summer. And so they're going to have food trucks and portalettes. Even though he's got bathrooms inside the church, and the church is air-conditioned. I don't know why he's not using his building. I can only make assumptions, which I, 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 uh, I can assume some things, maybe. Of course, I don't have any clear evidence but of why he's not using his church building. So... Uh, he claims that he's he's roll, going to roll out the red carpet and people are going to fly in, flying in from all over to be at this event. So we'll see. Next week I'll report on what happens over there. And he said, nobody, uh, we don't care if people wear a mask and everybody's going to hug and everybody's going to shake hands and he's going to lay hands on everybody. But yet, now, he's not afraid of the coronavirus, he says, but... In order to get into this event, you have to sign a document, which is available on the uh, website. I think it's Stan 2020 or Rodney Howard Brown Ministries or whatever. I went over there and I saw it so because he mentioned it, so I went over to see for myself. If you want to register to go to this church service on Sunday, you have to sign a waiver or you can't get in. You have to have a ticket to get into this event. And before you come in, you have to sign a waiver that you won't sue him if you get the coronavirus or if you fall or whatever, whatever reason. Anyway, you have to sign that you won't sue. So, uh, which, of course, I can understand that, too, because <laughs> there's definitely going to be people that will go to a, a function at a building and even if they got the virus somewhere else, they'll claim they got it there. Of course, you can't prove it. You can really never prove where you picked it up. And so, uh, but they will sue. They'll sue. And when people are desperate for money, they'll do anything. And so I could understand that in a way. But that's the deal. So <laughs> to me, it's a bit odd. The whole thing, because if, if you really were, uh, you weren't afraid of coronavirus and you weren't, uh, you're trusting Jesus and, and it's, you're trusting the blood of Jesus and, and uh, whatever, you don't, it seems a, a little odd that you would have people sign a disclaimer before they would come into your church service, right? And then also that you would, you would stay in your own house for two months and not even go out of the house just to walk around your property, but he didn't go anywhere. So why was he holed up in his house if uh, he was God's man of faith and power? 
it's just a little odd. It's a little, a little odd, but anyway, like I said, next week I'll report on what happened over there at this church. Did they really fly in? <laughs> could, you, could you imagine? I mean, who wants to fly? Now, most people don't even want to get on there. So, who wants to fly? Over to this church service. I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking over there. But let's see. We'll see if people fly in from all over the country just to be there because they took a stand for the First Amendment. It's fine. We have a right to protest. Thank God, and I and I, and I think we should use our peaceful peaceful protest now. I think we should use our First Amendment rights, of course, for uh, people uh, peaceful protest. And uh, but anyway, I I don't think people are going to be flying in from all over the world to attend this church service in 90 degree heat, sitting on astroturf. <laughs> and I can guarantee you that. Rodney is not going to use the portal at, I mean, you know, talk about uh, a place where you, know, you could have germs. I mean, really, when you have bathrooms inside your building, which this parking lot's right next to your building, and the bathrooms are air-conditioned and they're clean, try to figure it out. Try to figure it out doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, today we're going to talk about Paul Kane. Now, this was definitely an interesting character who appeared on the scene here. I know when I was in the Word of Faith movement, I heard about him. I didn't really spend too much time back then in the 1980s and the early part of the 1990s. I didn't really spend any time listening to him. But I remember hearing about him, and I think I saw him once or twice on television. And I remember that the thing that this man used anyway to draw attention to himself, now he was very popular at one time with Rick Joyner and his group there, these so-called prophets, and then he got in with Mike Bickle and uh, John Paul Jackson and Bob Jones, who was another notorious sex offender who called himself a prophet. Well, we'll do a program about him one day. But anyway, so Paul Kane. His one big claim to fame, and he always used this story, and he 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 had similar stories like Kenneth Hagen because Kenneth Hagen, he used to trap people into listening to him because he he was always having visions of Jesus, and Jesus was taking him to heaven, and Jesus was telling him about his how great he was, how great his ministry was, and all these things, and then of course uh, Hagen tells the fairy tale about dying three times and going to hell and then on his third time coming back from hell he gets born again which is impossible because it's a first of all we know 
and, and these these have to be big red red flags for us nowadays because we're trying to reform the church. We are going to tear down all those old fallacies that people believed in the past, and we are going to rebuild from the ground up, and we are going to base our beliefs on the word of God and on the word of God only. I don't care about your vision and your dream and how many times Jesus took you to heaven and you saw angels and you're special. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. So keep it to yourself because, first of all, don't draw attention to yourself. You're nothing. If it wasn't for Jesus, where would we be? All of us. There's a messed up uh, stupid lives that we had before Jesus came into our life. So it's all about him anyway. It's his anointing. It's his work. It's his deal. And the fact that he lets us even do anything for him is a miracle. So stop trying to puff yourself up. Anyway, this man was big on puffing himself up because the first time I heard him, he said that an angel appeared to his mother before he was born. And, of course, then when you're in the Word of Faith movement, you love all these stories. You love all these dreams and all these visions and visitations and prophecies and all that. Oh, you go running after this stuff. Because most people, they're so lazy, they won't hear from God themselves. Why do I have to have you tell me about my life? I know about my life. I know my name. I know my address. I know what's wrong with me. Okay. Hi, everybody. Paul Kane, who uh, passed away, I think it was in February of 2019 that he passed away, and he was 89 years old. So he lived a, he lived a long life, and we were saying that, uh, of course, his one big claim to fame was the fact that an angel appeared to his mother and. And he was he was going to be called to preach. Well, we're all called to preach the gospel. God doesn't have any special <laughs> special people that he picks that he just he handpicks. It's because the Bible says, "Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel." So it's not like whenever this is part number. Uh, I wouldn't say it's part number one, but it's part of the Reformation process is that we don't listen to people. The antenna goes up and we say, and then when they start telling you about their angelic visitations and these kind of supernatural events that happen to them, that number one, you go, bye, I'm not listening to you. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, no, and so a, a a real servant of the Lord Jesus Christ does not try to draw attention to themselves, as 
somebody that has some kind of a special thing and they can't wait to tell you about it. Even if these things did happen, and I don't believe they do happen, they wouldn't even tell you because they wouldn't want to draw any attention to themselves. And and uh, that's that's one thing about the uh, word of faith and these the the NAR and these movements is that uh, the leaders and the big Kahuna's in the in this movement they're always trying to draw attention to themselves by the fact that they are, they're always having these visions and they're always having these dreams and they're uh they see Jesus and they go to heaven and they go to hell and they're flying here and there their bodies are going in here and they're and uh they're being translated and and then Another big one is, and this is something that Paul Cain did on a regular basis, was he was going to transfer his anointing. He was going to give you his mantle, and and whatever God gave him, he was going to pass it along to you. Well, (laughs) you, you wouldn't want it. You wouldn't want it, number one. First of all, it's not his anointing to give. And he was a notorious, homosexual drunkard. So why would anybody want his mantle or his anointing? And even after he was outed back in 2004 when uh, it was brought to the, the attention of uh, Rick Joyner and that crowd over there, which I don't endorse. I don't endorse that crowd. But anyway, he was, it was brought to their attention that he was committing homosexual acts and he, he was a drunk. And so they tried to discipline him. And at first he denied it, but then there was just too much evidence, too much evidence. And so he had to finally admit it. But we'll get into all that because I have, I'll be playing some of the audio clips. But anyway, here's Ezekiel 13, 7. Let's look at the word of God here so we can base everything we're saying today on that. Ezekiel 13, 7 says, Have ye not seen a vain vision? And have ye not spoken a lying divination? Whereas ye say, the Lord saith it, albeit I have not spoken. So God didn't send an angel. Now, you mean to tell me that God sent his angel down to his mother to tell him about the his ministry, and then Jesus supposedly appeared to him, I think, when he was seven or eight, and to tell him about, about his ministry. And then you wind up in homosexuality, and you wind up a drunkard? I don't think so. I don't think so, no. That doesn't fit at all. That doesn't fit at all. So you see what happens to these people because they lie about God and they lie about these visitations and they they know they're lying. So we'll, we'll have to say anyway, this guy probably had a little bit of a conscience, even though he never stopped lying up until a month before he died. I saw him on uh, the Joni Lamb show, another false person 
and she has him on her program. And he was lying then, a month before he died. He was still lying about how God took him. Uh, he had these angelic visitations, and his mother had these angelic visitations. He's still lying. So I, who knows what happened to him on his deathbed? Did he finally repent of his lying? But that's why, part, part of the reason why he probably became a drunk, because he couldn't stand himself. If he had any conscience at all, you knew he was lying. He knew he was lying. He knew that he was involved in homosexuality. And he knew that an angel never came to him. And he knew that Jesus never came to him. So he had to get drunk, probably, so he could continue to go out and tell his tales so he to a gullible Church, to gullible churches, which he was doing in uh, probably up until, like I said, he up until a month or so before he died. He was still going around telling these stories to people, anybody that would believe it, and then telling people that he was celibate. He was telling people. And uh, I'm going to play the audio tapes of him saying it. Telling people that God called him to be celibate, and he was celibate all his life, even though he wanted to get married. He was celibate. He was lying. He was lying. He wasn't celibate. He was practicing homosexuality. So anybody that claims to be a prophet, and then they're going to lie? No, no, we're not supposed to accept that. Look, that disqualifies you. That disqualifies you from public ministry. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Just go away, get saved, come back, get into the word, and lead a a lifestyle that glorifies God. And quit your lying and quit your deceiving just because you want to earn a living. And that's what it is. They earn a good living. He had a million-dollar home. Uh, He was earning a good living from his lying and deceiving people. And then passing out, oh, he he wanted to give you what he had. Oh, no, I didn't want, no, nobody wants what he had, no. Deuteronomy 18.20 but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, That is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Jeremiah 5.31, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? Yeah, people love it all. Oh, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to get a word from the Lord. Get your own word. Get your own word. It's a lot safer, and it won't cost you any money. 
Jeremiah 23:32 Behold I am against them that prophesy false dreams saith the Lord and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness yet I sent them not nor commanded them therefore they shall not profit this people at all saith the Lord and it doesn't profit it doesn't profit what does it profit when you wind up a drunk and you wind up in sexual perversion. It profits nothing. It profits nothing. Then you have your Nebuchadnezzar moment, and God turns you over and makes you crazy, and you wind up like King Nebuchadnezzar on the ground, eating grass like a, an animal, and his fingernails grew so long they looked like claws. He lost his mind. And that's what happens. That's what happens. Don't mess around with God. I mean, don't mess around mess around. Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And here you make a judgment here. So when anybody tells you don't judge, here you make a judgment here, right from the words of Jesus. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And that's evil fruit. That's evil fruit, what these people are bringing for, uh, forth. Matthew twenty four eleven, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Yes, they shall deceive the very elect. And it seems in the days we're living in, it seems pretty much like that's been going on. A lot of that has been going on. Now, Galatians 1.8 says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. So they say, the angel told me this, and the angel told me that. No. No. That's it. And so um, I'm looking for the scripture here when people tell you, well, Jesus was here, and, and Jesus told me this, and, and Jesus told me that. And Jesus said, don't, if they tell you I'm here and tell you I'm there, don't believe it. Because I came once, and I said I'm coming a second time. So if they tell you I'm over there, <laughs> if, if they tell you that I was at their house, I wasn't there. Because I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven now. I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I said, I'm coming again. I didn't say I was coming three times, four times, five times, six times. I'm coming to Kenneth Hagin's house. I'm coming to Kenneth Copeland's house. I'm coming to Jesse Duplantis's house. I'm coming to uh, Paul Kane's house. No, I never said that. I didn't say I was doing that. So here's the uh, testimony. Now, this is Paul Kane speaking about the angel that appeared to him and his mother. 
born oh, wow. uh, the, the shout of the wow. an angel they said <laughs> okay that clip there in his testimony on the Tony show in January of 2019 he says that when he was born there was a shout of an angel you know he went through a period and of course he where he it was uh, illuminated So you notice that the women there, they're gushing. They're gushing because when he was born, there was a shout of an angel. So, of course, you know, that makes you special. He was always drawing attention, always drawing attention to himself. Here he is talking about what happened when he was seven. And on the way home, I saw I jumped in bed and she continued to pray. And the uh, Lord spoke audibly to me. And it was very frightening for um, my sister and I. We didn't have electric lights. We had uh, kerosene lanterns. And so the room was dimly lit. But when the Lord appeared, uh, there was an amber light that just filled the room and uh, very, very frightening. I pulled the cover over my head, and scared to death and shaking, and, and the Lord uh, spoke, called my name, and called me to the ministry and said things I've never told anyone since. And uh, my little, uh, my sister, six years older than me, she was praying, Lord, uh, hear my speak to me too. It was something that stayed with me all these years, and I've never never been able to live a successful, sinful life because of that. He says, notice he says, now this is in uh, February, uh, January of 2019, a month before he died. He's 89. He's already been, uh, it, it was already discovered that he was into homosexuality and drunkenness for many years. And he tells them, that he was never able to, because Jesus told him about the great ministry he was going to have when he was seven, that he never led a successful, sinful life. This is how this guy was. And he was being applauded. Even, even Joni Lamb, she's, she's, please, if you want to see this, uh, Video. It's up on. I think it was up on YouTube. Uh, Paul Kane on uh, Joni Lamb show. Even after he lies like that, he just lies one lie after another. She says to him, "Do you have a word? <laughs> Do you have a word for Daystar?" Oh, and so he's probably probably in his head he's thinking, "Man, what a dummy." Anyway, he gives her what she wants, and he starts. Prophet lying to her. I have a word for Daystar. I have a word for Daystar. Repent and stop lying over there about Jesus. Stop lying. Please. Anyway, here's Paul Kane now. I'm going to play this clip. Here he is, too. He tells an audience, and I think he was in London at this time for all my listeners over there in the UK. He, they actually brought him to Kensington Temple there. And uh, I've been there myself quite a few times and um, had, I think I might have had one or two meetings at Kensington Temple. 
back in the 90s. But anyway, uh, here he is at, they actually brought him there, and I think it was in the end of 2018, it was sometimes I think in 2018 that he was actually there lying, lying over there to those poor people that, and they were, they were hanging on his every word. Like you folks here today, you wonderful people, the Lord has given me the privilege of an impartation to pass on to you the good things he's done for me and the wonderful uh, gifts that he has uh, produced all at the right time, the right place for the perfect situations. So uh, now in the winter of my last uh, seeds, I'm going everywhere and doing this impartation, praying that everything God has ever revealed to me, everything he's ever done for me, will in some part be uh, transferred to you, uh, like uh, uh, impartation of the Holy Spirit's gifts. And I hope you won't take this uh, with anything but total sincerity and, and total awe and, 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 uh, and, and love for this to happen. But the Lord wants to make all of his people, you know, would to God all the Lord's people were prophets, would to God that all of God's people would prophesy. Would to God that all of God's people would be uh, healers and would heal the sick in the name of Jesus and all that. So I'm going to do my best just in a simple way to impart to every one of you. It's the greatest thing I could ever do for our friends in the UK and you're here from other places to impart to you uh, what God has imparted to my mother, what he imparted to me in these supernatural lifestyles for all these years. Now, I don't brag about it, but I've been called after um, uh, being engaged more than once and wanting to be married, wanting to, I don't know a normal man that gets married, but what he wants to recreate himself. He wants to have a son and children and, um, and God bless sons and daughters. But uh, I, I wanted to be married. And then the Lord called me to celibacy at a time when I was engaged to an Assemblies of God official daughter and the superintendent of the Assemblies of God was going to perform this ceremony. The angel of the Lord appeared to me and said, if you really want to walk with God that you say you want, he wants you to know. He sent me to tell you that he walked alone. And here I got a call to celibacy right in the middle of my engagement with the pictures and the announcements, a uh, quarter page of the newspaper. And, oh, you don't know the, the trouble I've seen having to call off an engagement like that. But I want you to know there's a price to pay for every ministry. There's a price of celibacy that I've paid for that. I don't boast about it. I don't brag about it. I don't consider myself elevated above anybody. But I have been a celibate all my life, and it's been painful. It's been uh, mournful. It's been mournful, really, because I wanted the love of a wife. I wanted the love of children. And that's the sacrifice one, only one sacrifice that I've made, and you may be called another type of sacrifice, but whatever it takes, give it all to Jesus Christ and follow the path of the lone Galilean. His voice that subdued the rough billows is going to be heard. It's going to be heard tonight, not just in Judea no more. It's going to be heard tonight. Father, I pray right now, just to be sincere, just as, I, as sincere as I know how to be, everyone standing here on the lower floor, in the balcony, in the overflow auditorium, 
I pray, Lord, that you will cause suddenly to come upon them this abundance of power and this anointing and this transference and this uh, uh, anointing that you have uh, given me will be given them and the anointing you have given others, Lord. I pray that you will help me, help me as I pronounce this upon them. And uh, give me the anointing and the ability just to say it right. May you impart to them the best of the gifts of the Spirit, the ones that need that is needed the most will come into operation in their lives. And they'll say to the righteous, it shall be well with them. They'll say to the cripples and the sick and the afflicted, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. Or go in the call, uh, street call straight. Or go to this street and you'll find someone in this apartment or in this home that's crippled in a wheelchair and it's their time to walk, their time to be healed. Lord, let this anointing be upon every individual that's sincere and every person, every follower of yours, every follower, every ardent follower of the Lord Jesus Christ that's in the building, anywhere in this building, the sound of my voice, I pray you will baptize them with this real sense of values, with this real anointing from the real Jesus, from the real Christ, the only begotten Son of Almighty God. Lord, I pray that you will baptize them and use them in a way that people will look to them and say, we've never seen it on this fashion before. But they will say, surely God is in that brother. God is in that sister. Yes, he sounds very sincere, right? Sounds very sincere. I was called to a life of celibacy, and it hasn't been easy. But the angel came to me and told me, that if I wanted this ministry, I would have to give up marriage so that I could have this very special anointing that I have. She's oh, lying through his teeth, just lying. Lying. Oh, that's it. Then you have to go home and you have to drink a bottle of vodka after to try to dull your senses. So, uh, you don't have to think about the fact that you just were lying over there in the name of Jesus, you know, and getting paid for it yet, too. It sounded, he sounds very sincere, though. Yeah, he sounds very sincere. Jeremiah 23 says, verse 10, For the land is full of adulterers, for because of swearing the land mourneth, the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, and their course is evil, and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. Wherefore, their way shall be to them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein, for I will bring evil upon them, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem, Jerusalem and horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. So God doesn't look upon it too lightly, really. 
the false prophets. So you don't need to run over to you don't need to run over to that meeting over there and t- somebody tell <laughs> somebody tells you. <laughs> First of all, you have to sow a seed. And you have to give $1,000. Usually when you give the $1,000, you get a big, long prophecy. Oh, wow, the prophet lays hands on you or the so-called prophet. And uh, they lay hands on you. And then they give you a big, long prophecy. And it's usually about how great you're going to be in the ministry. Oh, you're going to have this ministry and you're going to have that. And God's going to use you here. God's going to use you there. And uh, you can't ever fulfill those prophecies that you can. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like you can't even live up to it because you know how flaky you are. So, anyway, it's it's all a big scam. It's all a big scam. And God doesn't God doesn't take it lightly. Anyway, here's now here's another whopper from Paul Kane. He he was a good storyteller, I have to say that. He he could really tell a story and he could hold people's attention when he was doing it. And he knew it. I mean he knew he 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 was gifted in that area. But he he made up these stories. Here's a story he made up about Satan dressed in a tuxedo coming to see him at one of his meetings. I'm just trying to think of the things that Danny, uh, my assistant, uh, uh, remembered and wanted me to tell about. And uh, I've just told you about the Korean angel. I got ahead of myself there. Now we're right back to Mr. Joseph Blackburn, the devil himself. I've never had an experience like that before nor since. But uh, I was uh, planning on building a church in Los Angeles and some people had uh, secured one of the most uh, beautiful auditoriums called the World Theater, or the Markel Theater at that time. And uh, we were having a huge crowd one night, and a man walked in the building as the offering was being taken. And uh, in those days, some of us took our own offerings. I can't believe that happened, but it did. And so uh, this man walked in, walked all the way up to the front, and there were no seats available, but there was one seat uh, to my left on the front row. And this man came down the aisle and sat in that seat. And he looked, uh, I don't think I would ever describe a man as being beautiful, but he was the most handsome man I've ever seen in my life. And he looked like a movie star without makeup, without needing makeup. And he had a tuxedo on, and he was dressed fit to kill, as they say. And um, so I was uh, trying to sit down. I was taking the offering. And, and so after the offering place were being passed, he motioned me to come to the edge of the platform like this. And I knelt down, and he came up. And I thought uh, uh, that his, the light and the glow on this man and the, and the uh, beautiful features or the handsome features of his face looked like uh, on a wedding cake, the groom just stepped off of the top of the wedding cake, and here he was, uh, the most handsome person I've ever seen in my life, and just a, a light, a glow. And um, he said, Mr. King, I'm, uh, I'm glad he didn't say brother. Uh, Mr. King, I am sent from the stores, and I have a, 
a message for you. Could I have an audience with you after the meeting tonight? And so I was totally mesmerized with this man. And I said, well, sure, after the meeting, we'll go up to my office. And uh, uh, so we did. I couldn't hardly wait till the meeting was over because he just, uh, my attention was focused on him. He just seemed like I was preaching that night, a message of all messages on Jesus, the light of the world. And the first thing he said when, we, when he was seated uh, upstairs in the office he looked at me and he said, uh, Mr. Kane, if you can believe, I am the light of the world, just like you preached tonight. And I'm telling you, looking at him and the glow about him, I was everything he said was so loving and Christ-like. And he named the childhood sins, the little boy sins that I committed, and I thought were awful, you know. And uh, But he said, you know, I only chuckled. When you were in that little red uh, wagon, and the name of it, he, uh, he revealed the name of it, and he said, uh, and the wheel came off, and you kicked it, and you um, said, uh, you know, he told me the word I said only grown-ups would use in those days. And um, he said, do you realize how much I loved you? He said, I just loved you. That wasn't... Uh, uh, there wasn't anything wrong with that. So he was just covering all my sins, you know. And then he increased in, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the way uh, he was manifested until I, I thought, if I miss this, and this is my, uh, my only opportunity, you know, to respond, if I miss my day of grace, and I miss this day, and this is Jesus, then what am I going to do in the day of judgment? So I almost fell on my knees to worship him because it was that real. And um, so uh, as he continued uh, to uh, say things, he had already said, you know, if you can believe, I am that light, the light of the world you preached about. And uh, so he told me that... uh, he was going to make me, if I would listen to him, he was going to make me the most famous preacher in the world and the wealthiest uh, preacher in the world, and that uh, he would be able to, to procure or, or purchase that building for me, and we'd call it uh, uh, Hollywood Temple, and it would appeal to the Jewish population and, and the movie stars, and said, they will come and fall at your feet, and... Um, You'll be the most uh, uh, well-known pr- uh, preacher in the world. All you have to do is just let me instruct you and tell you uh, what to do. And I never thought of this in this light until uh, the other night uh, when I began to reminisce about uh, this uh, appearance of the enemy, of the devil. I never thought that Mr. Joseph Blackburn, who's, that's who he said he was, who was the devil himself, he wasn't an angel of light. He was the devil. And believe me, I lived in fear for a year or two after that. I couldn't sleep in a room without the light was on. It was, and when I came down from, um, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of my story, and there was a good storyteller. But when, um, when I heard him saying, you know, that uh, trying to get me to worship him and trying to get me to, to agree that he would uh, uh, he would just map out the course of my the rest of my life, 
make me the most famous and wealthiest person in the ministry. All right, everybody, we're back. I apologize to the listeners that were listening live. I have no clue what's going on with this blog talk radio. It cut me off three times already today, but I am determined to finish this program. We only have about two minutes left here on the live feed, but I'll go over this um, live. It won't be live after two minutes, but I'll finish the program and and then I'll post it so it'll be there in its entirety as soon as I get it finished in about 30 minutes. Okay, so I do sincerely apologize. We'll try to get these things ironed out. And uh, we were playing the uh, audio of Paul Kane when he said that Satan walked into his meeting dressed a, dressed in a tuxedo. <laughs> And uh, that's where we... ...to procure or, or purchase that building for me, and we'd call it uh, uh, Hollywood Temple, and it would appeal to the Jewish population and, and the movie stars, and said, they will come and fall at your feet, and um, you'll be the most uh, uh, well-known pr- uh, preacher in the world. All you have to do is just let me instruct you and tell you uh, what to do. And I never thought of this in this light until uh, the other night uh, when I began to reminisce about uh, this uh, appearance of the enemy, the devil. I never thought that Mr. Joseph Blackburn, that's who he said he was, but it was the devil himself. He wasn't an angel of light. He was the devil. And believe me, I lived in fear for a year or two after that. I couldn't sleep in a room without the light was on. It was, and when I came down from, um, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of my story. I never was a good storyteller. But when, um, when I heard him saying, you know, that uh, trying to get me to worship him and trying to get me to, to agree that he would, uh, uh, he would just map out the course of my, the rest of my life, make me the most famous and wealthiest person in the ministry. Yeah, well, you know, obviously, uh, <laughs> look, Satan, first of all, Satan is not all-knowing. So how did he know that he said a bad word when he did something in his wagon when he was a child? Oh, please stop it. Oh, but of course, he didn't succumb to the temptation. No, he didn't succumb to the temptation. But he fell into drunkenness and homosexuality. Here's the, Now, this is a after uh, Paul Cain died in February 2019, Rick Joyner came out with a statement. And uh, I'm not endorsing Rick Joyner in any way, shape, or form, but I wanted you to hear what he had to say after the fact. You know, he went through a period, and of course, he where he it was uh, illuminated that he had 
been in some immoral activity, relationships for some time, homosexual relationships. And to me, it's not whether it's homosexual or anything. It's whether it's immoral or not, you know. Um, and I, I think anything like that, I don't care how much power you walk in, I don't care what kind of authority, I don't care what kind of good you've done. I don't believe sin like that is beyond the power of the cross to redeem and that anybody can be restored from those things and and we tried to work with Paul through a period of restoration and but he uh, became very aggressive and um, and then decided he was going to not stay under our ministry to help him get through this and get free of the strongholds that were working his life and and uh you know Mike Bickle, myself, Jack here, we told him if you leave this process we have got to go public because we felt like he was threatening especially to young men. And we had a number of examples and evidence but uh, some things would get a hold of Paul, especially when he was drinking. And he would get out of control and do things that really, I know some young people, their faith was deeply affected by what happened to him, And it just shocked them. They looked up to Paul like, you know, even more so because of his extraordinary gift and everything else. And this just wrecked their faith. And I said, well, said, we cannot let this happen to God's people. If he does not through, stay through the process, we've got to put the word out. We did. You know, that made a lot of people mad. Why did it? Well, even after that, even years after that, we had examples, cases, where, you know, this was continuing to happen. And and people asked me up until a few months ago even why wouldn't I restore Paul? Well, every t- I always wanted to say, or why wouldn't I consider him? It's no longer in the process, but every time someone would come say, they've worked with Paul, they've been with him for months or years, and he's been through all this, he's free now. I would just ask the Lord, I said, Lord, is this true? I, I would love to consider, I would love for him to be restored. No, this is over. I, he was like my father in many ways. And a uh, spiritual father for sure, and I, I want to see him restored. But then something would happen that there'd be pretty solid evidence he really hasn't changed. And right up until the last couple of months, I did hear from Paul a few just a short time ago, and um, he asked me again, why wouldn't I restore him or consider him restored? I said, Paul, I need evidence. I need fruit that this is not a still a problem with you. And it just so happened he was also saying, look at the power and the way God used me in these recent meetings. And then when I you know, heard what he shared in those meetings about having lived a celibate life his whole life, and I, I just had to tell him, I said, Paul, we know you did not live a celibate life. I said, as long as you keep saying that, which is not true, uh, I don't believe you've even repented, much less 
been through a true restoration, effective restoration process. And uh, I never heard from him again. Of course, it's really sad for me that that was our last communication. And uh, yeah, it's really sad that Paul is gone now. He was huge part of our life and some of the best things and uh, a used mightily of the Lord Samson was but he had issues he had character issues and so did Paul but so what do I think I still consider him a great man of God I'm very thankful to have known very thankful for the time we had and even the last few years, he would come see me occasionally and sometimes spend a few days here at Heritage with us. And sometimes he would bring me a word from the Lord that was no question in my mind come, came from God, was incredibly helpful to us. And I so appreciated him continuing to keep our relationship going and, and all. But <clears throat> to me, the you know, is have an influence in the body of Christ as a, a shepherd or whatever which we're called to be or watchmen, you know, I could not stand having people uh, tripped up the way they were by some of his behavior. We actually had to stop letting him stay at our hotel because of some things that happened there. I actually had to put watches on his room one night. That's the kind of thing that was going on. And I, you know, I'm not trying to slime him now that he's gone more than anything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, it's a little damage control there on Rick Joyner's part. That's what I think. <laughs> you know, he's still saying, that, yeah, he was a great man of God. No, he wasn't. I mean, it's hard to believe this guy was even saved to be perfectly honest with you. Most of his ministry, so-called ministry, was a fraud. Now, uh, I think his first name, now I can't remember this guy's first name, but I think it's James Gall, G-O-L-L, and he's a big deal in the uh, prophetic movement. I might have his first name wrong. I'll look it up while I'm waiting. But anyway, this is what he has to say. He's what he's a member of the whole false prophet union over there, and this is what he says at the memorial service. Mike Bickle, you changed my life. We've been friends for 46 years, and it is through you, the relationships, some of the key ones that in long term have shaped my life came as a direct result of knowing you, which would have been three seer prophets, Bob Jones, John Paul Jackson, and Paul Kane. I remember one of the first times that I um, saw Paul Kane minister. It was in Anaheim at the Vineyard at a conference, and uh, yeah, I was a part of the prophetic ministry team, and doing an afternoon sessions with John Paul, and they were calling out people, you know, because they saw fire on them. And, dude, I didn't know how to throw hand grenades at people and hit them, but I did know how to, like, if you stood in front of me, I could give you something. 
and be in the back room with uh, Bob Jones and the anointing of Bob definitely amplified that which was upon mine. But what really got me was the strange silver-haired man that night. I wept. I wept, and I wept again when I heard and watched Paul Kane minister. I wept for two reasons. One, because I had already prayed for years to see another realm of the prophetic. And that night, I saw what I had been dreaming of. I wept for another reason. Because I went into an insecure place of comparing myself to him. And I started thinking about, oh, God, I just have little crummy words. Ah! That's my life. I wept out of the authentic realm of a higher dimension, and it was a dream come true. I wept out of a great need that I was pierced with to go deeper and higher. I tend to be a person who gets dreams and spiritual activity by assignment. On February 13th, early in the morning, I was caught up in a very vivid dream. I was in heaven. And heaven was dancing. All of heaven was dancing. Concentric circles doing Jewish grapevine dancing. And I was there too. And I'm watching these Scores, no, hundreds, perhaps tens of thousands of people. And on an inner circle, going one direction, the next circle, twirling the other, another. And it appeared to me that all of heaven was celebrating. I peered into the dream, and I saw my two grandmothers, which I'd never seen. I knew they went to be with the Lord, but I'd never seen them together in a dream. But there was another woman that I noticed in the dream that I knew. Her name was Anna Kane. And she was dancing and celebrating before the Lord. There was another circle then that I noticed people in. It was my late wife, Michael Ann, holding hands with Jill Austin. And then another prophetic friend named David Dryling, and I was there with them. I thought I was in heaven, and I was totally healed, and I was perplexed when I woke up because I wasn't. (laughs) But it was amazing, because I saw all of those people. Of course, I saw according to my frame of reference, but I saw I felt, I heard, and I asked a question in the dream, and I said, why is heaven celebrating? And it came to me. I heard a word in the dream, and it said, oh, heaven is celebrating the reception of a king. Manifested presence of God was all over me. I wake up, and I'm catapulted into a vision, and then I see 
these thousands of people dancing. I saw two golden chairs here and two golden chairs there. And there was Bob Jones sitting. There was John Paul Jackson sitting. Over here was Oral Roberts. And right there was Kenneth Hagin. And they were all watching the concentric circles of celebration and dance. And they were all nodding their head in approval. Yes, this is the right thing to do. I woke up out of the dream, went into the vision, and then I reached to my phone, and I had a text from a man named Dan. I read the... Yeah. Oh, please. Stop it. <laughs> he saw, oh, he saw Roberts and Kenneth Hagin, two big false prophets. And, oh, Bob Jones, yeah, he saw Bob Jones, another false prophet. Oh, they were sitting in golden chairs, and heaven was welcoming a king. And then I got a text message, and then he knew that it was probably Paul Kane that was being welcomed into heaven. It's a, a stop already. And he, he's saying that uh, he's talking about the circles. Well, if you look up the that uh, centrifugal circles, those are things that witches talk about. Anyway, one day we'll do a full program on this guy. His name is James Gall. And uh, just loony. Just loony. Anyway, um, I have this last audio I'm going to play. And this is from a man who worked with Paul Kane for many years. He was actually his right-hand man. And uh, he, uh, he he still glorifies him, which I don't understand why. But this is what he has to say at the uh, memorial service. By age 12, he was preaching, prophesying, and filling churches throughout the Dallas area. This was happening simultaneous with the beginning of the healing revival era. It was a time when great preachers were arising, having huge tent revivals with countless healings, with truckloads of empty wheelchairs and crutches being carried away daily. And I've seen the pictures of these in in the old magazines. It's just phenomenal. Still in his teenage years, Paul was discovered by a wealthy promoter who enabled him to minister on the most prominent stages in the country. He ministered with the generals of the healing movement, even though he was such a young prophet. Now bear in mind that Paul had no spiritual fathering and no apostolic oversight. What he had was raw prophetic anointing with no intentional character-building relationships And his preaching and healing gifts were growing powerfully. Imagine, if you will, what this would do to the mind, the heart, and ego of a teenager. From some early Voice of Healing records, we see that Paul was a respected healing revivalist. But by his own admission, when he was in his mid-20s, he got caught up in the fame and focus on wealth, which marked that era towards the end. 
so much so that he once owned seven houses, numerous high-end cars, a huge tent, semi-trucks, office and staff and overheads, everything to mobilize the show. And these are, these are his words. And while not all bad things of themselves, Paul would often say they distracted him from his humble beginnings in the presence of God. And he would say that the demands to preach and the constant need to meet his financial obligations drove him until he finally broke down. In his late 20s, Paul became disillusioned with what was going on as he watched his peers drop like flies into various forms of sin. Paul's disillusionment became so intense that he virtually disappeared from the movement and went into relative obscurity for the next 25 to 30 years, only coming out of hiding to preach occasionally. No one knows much about those years, but I did meet several people who were miraculously healed and delivered during those hidden years. When Paul prayed for them in a meeting or visited them in a hospital or mental institution, he never stopped ministering, but he shied away from the limelight. For the most part, the healing revival that shaped Paul's character and values was led by men and women with sovereign callings and gifting, but they were largely unfathered. They were breaking new ground, and there were no roadmaps for them to follow, no apostolic fathers to care for their souls. Gifts were exalted above character and ministry above family and friendship. For the most part, those ministries were outwardly glorious, but inwardly unhealthy, and it was only a matter of time before the ticking time bob of their own immaturity blew up for most of them. As a teenager, Paul was thrust into rock star status, where he knew fame and unprecedented supernatural power and authority. You have to remember that incurable disease such as tuberculosis and polio were rampant, they were ravaging our country, and they created a vacuum into which these men and women stepped. And into this perfect storm came a young, unfathered boy prophet with extraordinary gifts. Like Paul, each of us carries heaven's treasure in an earthen vessel. The weakness of our flesh and underdevelopment of our character does not diminish the quality or the purpose of anyway it, it's it's a a warning for all of us is not to think more highly of ourselves than we are and uh that's a big trap for people is fame and riches and public adulation you you can't <laughs> Most people they can't deal with it because they can't they start to believe their own press and then they get into trouble because it's all about Jesus it's it's his ministry it's his gospel and he gives us the honor and the privilege of preaching his gospel and what's the ultimate goal for that is to win souls for him and to populate heaven it's not to glorify ourselves and to uh, let people idolize us. And it's a big trap. It really is because people will, people do tend to idolize preachers for some reason. And they allow it. They like it. 
they like the money. And uh, so it's a big trap. It's a big trap. But we should never put the gift before someone's personal integrity. They, uh, ministers have to have integrity. They have to be honest. They need to be humble. And no matter what gift somebody has, if they're not displaying a uh, Christian life and morality and integrity, then don't listen to those people. They have nothing to say. They can't even get their own life right. So how can they tell you about yours when they're not even trying? This man wasn't even really trying to live a, a holy life before the Lord. He knew he had a good gig going out and preaching to people and prophesying to people and laying giving people his uh, anointing and his he was imparting to people, whatever. And so he got off on all of that. And But his life was a life of deception. And hopefully on his deathbed, he does repent and get finally get his life right with God and tell the truth to the Lord. But the fact that he was accepted in so many different circles, and he was preaching up until a month or so before he died, he was still going out there deceiving people with his stories and his lies. Don't be deceived by these testimonies of uh, heavenly visitations and angelic visitations and when people start to tell you how great they are even if they do it in 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 a humble way and this man he tried to do it in a humble way or so it seemed when he was telling people his life and he, he was telling you that he would give you his impartation but he didn't mean a word of it to him, it was just a job. And uh, very, very sad. It's very sad to wind up like that when uh, apparently the man was a gifted storyteller anyway, even though most of the stories he told were fables. And uh, But what good did it do him to be so miserable and to be so disturbed in his own personal life so, because God can deliver anybody of anything. <laughs> you know, if you really want to be delivered, God can deliver you of anything, no matter what it is. But if you don't really want to be delivered, and if you like your sin more than you like Jesus, then you're going to stay. You're going to stay in the pig pen. That's just the way it is. But anyway, it, it's a, it was a sad life, but it's a warning for all of us. Just stay close to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Don't be running after these people that uh, claim that they have this and they have that. And uh, they're just deceivers. It's a, it's a real lesson. But there's so much of it going on right now. It's just, there's just so, so much deception. And it's going to increase. It's going to increase as the days go by. But remember that we have the Word of God. We have our Bibles, and we need to make sure that we read it and we know what it says so that we don't get deceived in these days of uh, 
chaos and confusion, which there's a lot of confusion going on, that's for sure. But remember, the most important thing today is, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Jesus said in the third chapter of John that you must be born again. First, you're born of your mother, and then you must be born again of the Spirit of God. John uh, Romans 10.10 10 says that confession is made with the mouth unto salvation. So you must confess your sins and confess the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to give you a brand new life. No matter what Paul Cain did or what anybody else does, you will have to answer to God one day for your life. God bless you. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. Oh, I'm going to a city. It lies four square. The gates are made of jasper and I'll see Jesus there. I'm going to a city. On a hill, and someday I'll be in heaven, and there'll be no sorrow there. be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there.